0: right gang hello 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 welcome to another episode of the stories of selling human podcast i'm your host alex smith and i started this podcast because i truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation it could be business be personal that requires you to create change i think we all want to be heard seen and understood but the people who get our attention and convince persuade or influence us, they're not just salespeople. And we're going to talk about persuasion today and and, and really debunk some of the myths of of that and, and what it should be. But there are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. Gang, I, I'm so excited to introduce a, a guest. This person just shares a lot of beliefs that I have about sales. And I, I was telling him beforehand, uh, his book is, is one that's going to be you know, close to my <laughs> bookcase uh, at all times and underlined. Uh, this person's the host of the Accelerate. you know, It was the Accelerate Your Sales podcast and now is called the Sales Enablement Podcast with Andy Paul. He's an author, recent author of Sell Without Selling Out. He is a business coach, sales coach, consultant. He's ranked on number eight on the LinkedIn list of top 50 global sales experts. And he's consulted with some of the biggest businesses in the world, including Square, Philips, Grubhub, and more. He's really one of the leading voices in the sales industry today. Please welcome none other than Andy Paul to the podcast. Welcome, Andy. Alex, thank you for having me. You know, Andy, I was telling you before this, I tune into your podcast, love it. A lot of the interviews. And uh, you can kind of tell some of the, we're going to talk about some of the concepts in your book, you know, about connecting and, you know, really just being generous and having curiosity. And it strikes me that when you have interviews with people in the first few minutes, you're really connecting with them. You're not going straight into kind of an interview style. It's very much not just tell me about the weather, but how are, how was the weather when you yeah. were a kid? Is it changed right. from when right. you were a kid? And there's these open-ended questions that you're really trying to connect with people. And it's a sales podcast, but if you listen, if everyone kind of listens to the beginning, you're not really trying to um, lead them necessarily in a, in a, you know, direction. You're, you're really trying to build that human bond upfront uh, about something that maybe meant something to them or makes them think about their own lives. What do you think you're, you're trying to do there? That's what I notice. Well, yeah. I mean, it's sort of second nature for me now. I mean, just because of you know, all
1: what I've done throughout my entire career. And this is, it's a reflection of, of who I am and, and how I operate with you know, prospects and so on. I, I, I'm on the middle of like a podcast tour for, to promote the book. And I think I'm doing like I don't know, somewhere between 80 and 90 podcasts, guest podcast appearances. Mostly on sales podcasts. But yeah, what sort of surprises me is just you can sort of tell about the person's sales personality based on how the interview goes. Yeah. And the way they structure it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm always sort of surprised, sort of you know, get on a sales podcast, and it's like, yeah, this, this person's not really very curious about, you know, about yeah. me and mm-hmm. and what we've done. And I presume that's true about other people, is is you know, they have sort of set list of questions they go through and and that's probably reflected in how they do discovery and yeah. So for me, that one of the great things about doing a podcast, and I, I presume you're experiencing the same thing, is over a thousand plus episodes. I've just talked to so many smart people and learned so many interesting things that that's part of the reason that kept me in sales for so many long years is meeting interesting people learning about the things that they're trying to do in their lives and what excites them and what challenges them and how I might be of help to them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've once heard it put, you know, that like sellers think that their job is to educate their buyer and to teach the buyer something new about their world, but really, you know, you're learning even more so sometimes than just teaching, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. really, you know, truly curious, you're really, you know, through learning is, is where, you know, some of the greatest opportunities lie because then you know like it's going both ways. It's not that you're being the one that has to be the one necessarily educating them. all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well I think that that's yeah I think there's a little bit of a fallacy around that because you know take for instance this whole idea of you know commercial insights, right? I mean do we have these prepackaged commercial insights we want to provide mm-hmm. our buyer. And I'm like, well I think it's more effective if I come in I really listen to you. And maybe the best insight a buyer gets is through a question that I ask, right? That's based on what I've learned from listening to them, That then I can pull from my experience and sit down, sort of synthesize and say, well, have you thought about this? That has much more power to the buyer than, well, let me tell you about this insight that we have from our work with other clients. Sure, that has some value. But when the in my mind, in my experience is when they have to think about it and they sort of have to come up with it themselves
0: has more power. Yeah, I completely agree. So this is going to lead to a question that I'm beginning to ask every one of my guests, and mm-hmm. it's about the title of the podcast. And I really just kind of want to see where you've got to go with this, because it's very much in line with where the title of your book and we'll get into you know the book, some of the key concepts some of the questions sure. that you mentioned. But my question really, it's this, Andy, it's and when I, when I say the phrase, like, selling by being human, what does that conjure up for you? What does that look like in your career? What does that mean to you? Well, in my career, and I described this in the book, as, yeah, I, I took a different path,
1: right? As, as from the beginning, really, from really the absolute beginning of my career, my first sales training class uh, for this big tech company I was working for out of college, just sitting in the training class and going, yeah what human being acts this way? Right. And I knew that I couldn't, I mean, it just, it wasn't me. And I, maybe I'm not very good at putting on an act, but I just knew that if I was going to have a career, I was going to, to sort of forge a little different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that's very unique. Yeah. You know, especially when you, know, I look at the response of people from my book so far and, you know, people are all, you know, lots of people so far coming forward and saying, look, thank goodness that you've written this because this is, I feel constrained by, by sort or of the way we're supposed to sell as opposed to the way I think I need to sell and want to sell. And that's, that's bringing out, you know, my unique strengths as a human being and the way that I interact with people, which is not the same as you or, you know, the person next to me or so on and so forth. And there's this, um, yeah, I think within sales, there's been this sort of increasing gravitation towards what I call I don't call that it. But I, I mean, others call it command and control management style in sales, when really we should be going the other direction, which is, uh, and borrow a phrase from Stephen M.R. Covey's new book, which is coming out, trust and inspire, right? As leaders, that should be your goal is to build trust with other people, inspire them to be more creative and more productive. So I think we sort inadvertently we squelch or maybe it's inadvertently, we, we intentionally, we yeah. we, we squelch. Lot of the humanity out of sales, and there's a certainly a growing body of people that think that look, you know, if we just turn our sellers into sort of these interchangeable cogs, you know, if we train everybody to say these words at this time to this person, and we're selling to personas that you know you ask these questions because this is what their answers are going to be, you know, it doesn't work that way, and you know, I think we see it in the results that the you know research data shows about you know, quota attainment and win rates
0: and close rates just not doing very well. You know, I, I always say, like, I don't know what you think about this, but it, it drives me nuts when I hear a lot, uh, there's bigger a lot refrained since COVID around, you know, well, selling's changed in the last 10 years and you know, B2B selling has really evolved. And now we were in this new H2H world of selling uh, with video and we're new in this new generation or something of the sales, uh, the the history of sales. Right. And I was like, I always just think to myself, when did sales ever not become between two human beings? Even since the dawn of time, our biggest strengths as like quote unquote sellers has been our, our personalities, ourselves, like our, our mm-hmm. unique experiences, all of our life, our things that we've, you know, learned that, that 9 billion people in the world don't have, you know, that's yeah. powerful, you know? And, and I think when people see that, then yes, of course, there's processes, there's stages to like a sales process or how we, we think of like, you know, a, there's acronyms and sales, there's all sorts of steps to sales, right? But at the core of it, you say like in the book, at the end of the day, we're just, really our jobs are to listen to people, to understand what they want and to get them what they want or need, you know, and it's very, we're kind of overthinking it. What do you think about that in terms of like, has anything really changed? And (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a lot
1: of people I just said before that, that would love to take salespeople out of the equation, right? That, I think this is you know the the dream of of many people in software world, SaaS world these days, as sales technology world is yeah. If we could just you know, use my favorite word, if we could disintermediate the salesperson, you know, take the salesperson out of the equation, wouldn't life be better? Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't this become more predictable? And the answer is no, <laughs> right? It's, unless you take the human out of both sides of the equation completely, then it just that's not going to happen. And so, yeah, selling hasn't become more human. I think that's part of the reason I wrote the book is because I think there's too many people in leadership positions and sales that think that, you know, everybody's pretty much the same. And if we treat people pretty much the same, you know, we, we we put you in a niche, in a box, and we know that if you're fit into this box, we'll ask these questions, you'll give us these answers, and everything will be very predictable going past. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Just to the point you talked about is, is you know, you're one of, I don't know, you said 9 billion, I'll say I've heard 7.5 billion, however many people in the world talking to another one of, you know, 7.5 billion people in the world, that's going to be a unique interchange, right? It may fall within certain bounds because you're talking about, you know, sort of common topics. But if you come in as a salesperson, and think this is, this person is going to give me these exact answers. And this is exactly what those mean. Yeah, then you're missing the boat. You know, if you're not, in the moment if you're not aware of the fact that this is a, a completely unique interaction you have with this person yeah. they don't think yeah. about things the same way people do they don't process information the same way other people do if you go in with that assumption then you're really limiting yourself and it takes no effort this is the part that really drives me nuts it takes no effort to treat someone as an individual instead of as a persona you know we sell to people not personas and so yeah you know, it, it ta- it it costs you nothing. Yeah. There's all these things that, you know, people talk about in sales these days, like, ah, you don't need to be friendly. You know, your buyers stuff, they don't need you. They don't need you to be friendly to buy from. Okay. In absolute Mm -hmm. terms that may be true, but it costs you nothing to be friendly with your buyer, Mm -hmm. not friends friendly. Yeah. And, and there's been in uh, Robert Cialdini's book persuasion. he said, look, it's, yeah, we know the whole thing of people buy from people they know, like, and trust. He said, yeah, there's actually another element to this, which his research have found is that people are more likely to buy from people who they think like them. So factor that into the equation. So what's it cost you to be friendly? Nothing. What's it cost you to be responsive to your buyer? You know, to prioritize getting back to what the answers they need in time, nothing. Yet there's people think that these things that have an impact on other humans aren't that important. And the fact is they are.
0: Yeah. I think everybody, I I just have this belief and maybe it's optimistic, but everybody is capable of this, you know, like some people are like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, well, like people are born to sell. And like, if you're, you know, uh, elite sellers are like, kind of like, they're just, you know, they have the gift of gab or they're extroverts or like, you know, ambiverts or their parents were in it and were, you know, like if there are certain if they have had twenty years of experience, they're like they're pros, and I just think that there are pros doing this that have never set foot in a sales class, they've never taken a training. Mm-hmm. They their job has nothing to do with sales, as I say in the beginning, but you know, instead of like the word sales, they don't think of it in the term you know, kind of like a traditional sense of like selling or exchanging value or, right. or closing a deal or money. They think of it as like what you say is like these these just innate human qualities that we have that, like you said, you know, being kind, being generous, being responsive, being mm-hmm. pre- showing up and listening, being curious, I mean, that creates this opportunity where, Hey, like, okay, like if you have something that can help me, or, you know, if there is something that if there is value, then we determine it much quicker, and much easier together, or even it's possible to do it. Then as opposed to like, okay, this person's clearly taking me through steps here through a process and right. um, it's, it's something they've been trained to do to say these things, you know?
1: Well, and I think that you bring up a great point is, I don't know if you've read Dan Pink's book to sell as human. That's what
0: inspired the yeah, the podcast.
1: Yeah. And it's not really a sales book, right? No. What mm-hmm. it is, it's a book mm-hmm. about how people work together yeah. in Absolutely. many respects, right? And what, you know, one of the great insights that it has in that book is that, you know, a large fraction of people in sort of normal, you know, knowledge worker, white collar worker type Mm -hmm. jobs say, "I, I only am able to get my job done by influencing other people, right, in one dimension or another to be able to help me Sir complete the work I have to do. You know, I have to influence the actions of the other people that may have the priorities, you know, how they prioritize my work versus somebody else's work or whatever. And, you know, Jeffrey Colvin, in his book, Humans Are Underrated, and he's writing about the future of work is, is strikes a similar theme, which is that the primary human skill we're gonna need going forward is the ability to collaborate. If we wanna thrive in a future that's, that's more digital age, we know that work is becoming more collaborative. And I had a woman on my show, an author named Ann Latham earlier, I guess it was 2021 and wrote this book about, I think the the power of clarity or I forget the exact title, but, but she uses this term in the book that we're not really knowledge workers anymore. We're interaction workers, right? Everything we do, we have to interact with someone else. And so this idea that somehow the motions would go through to have an influence on someone in, you know, let's say in day-to-day life, it could be a friend, it could be a relative, it could be a coworker. The idea that that is different than how we work with our buyers is just a false assumption. And I think, you know, that's sort of the point Pink was making is it's, it's basically the same thing. Yet salespeople think, well, I gotta put on this sales act, right, because now I'm trying to get something from, from somebody. As opposed to saying is, well, yeah, I'm really trying to help this person, much as you would, you know, someone else in your just ordinary life. I'm trying to help this person achieve something. And I know that if I can help them achieve it, I achieve something as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's fine. Yeah. But that's just, you know, we do this every day. But as soon as we put it into the context of selling something, we suddenly assume this act that assumes that we have to act a certain way. And believe me, there are plenty of sales leaders out there that think that's the case. I think, well, this is different because I've got a deadline to meet. Therefore, I must engage in all these shitty sales behaviors in order to hit my number. <laughs> Which is just like, no, <laughs> it's the other way around. Because what you're doing is you're putting the customer a spot where they don't, you know, they resist the way you act when you act salesy. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, if you're just treating them like a human being, as I talk about in the book, and you said really learning what's most important to them. When you do that, then you can work with the buyer to help
0: them achieve that. That's a shorter path to a result than the other. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, can you remember, like you recall, like the first time you, you know, kind of early memories or maybe even through your career when you felt as a buyer, like someone was being salesy because I I really, I'm really interested in this because I'm, I'm always trying to be conscious of this because someone's, uh, you know, perception of you, you could think that like what you're doing is. The absolute opposite of being salesy. You know, you're not being pushy. You're not being, um, you know, like you're not talking about you. You're not talking about like how great your company is and your background, but your definition of salesy could be completely different than someone else's. And it's maybe they've been jaded. Maybe they had an experience where someone was super salesy, quote unquote. How have you first noticed that? And, you know, how do you define, you know, salesy for, for you? Good question. Well, first of all, I think buyers just super sensitive to it. Yeah, yeah, right. So,
1: yeah, if you're talking with a buyer and you come across at all in terms of sort of me first, mm-hmm. that that comes across. It gets communicated yeah. because they're yeah. the yeah. antenna up are up right, and they're sort of expecting because of this reputation salespeople have. Right, is we have to be super careful and cautious about that. I mean, for me, I I sort of my first job out of school selling computer systems, uh, to mid sized companies, uh, mostly in the construction mm-hmm. industry, but I was working for a you know, company where sort of the culture of the company was salesy <laughs> and, you know, the company sort of legendary for producing, you know, they used to call it you know, producing peddlers. <laughs> and that was, that was sort of the reputation. And, and I mean, yeah, it was a wonderful experience in terms of the repetition I got and the exposure I got to, to business people. But yeah. I had bosses that forced me to do things that I did not want to do. And yeah, you know, one was like my branch manager. Yeah. He had their bonus. Big bonus period was May and June. There's a contest for sales managers ended the end of June and pretty much anything that wasn't nailed to the floor in the branch office got shipped to customers and counted as revenue. Oh my God. And I had spent a long time building this relationship. Well, you read the the story about the YU story uh, in the book, yeah, about the, yeah. talking to the CEO of this home builder with well, that particular account, which I had invested all this time in to build a relationship with and won this deal. Uh, about, about a year after that, the boss said, look, we've got, uh, at that time, it was a uh, add-on disk drive. You know, in those days, it was like, for 60 megabytes, cost about $60,000. And he said, this customer needs that. But well, customer didn't need it, he just it was the inventory. And if he got out of his inventory by the end of the month, he got an extra bonus on it. So he forced <laughs> me to go to this guy's office oh and said, God. try to sell him this upgrade for $60,000, oh which in God. today's terms is like a quarter million dollars. And he's like, why? <laughs> and first of all, he was a little unhappy with us at that point in time, but I literally went back and forth yeah. Fortunately, the customer was close. I don't have half a, half a mile, excuse me, from our branch office. But yeah, I'd go there and the customer would say, no, get out of here. And then I'd go back to the office and the branch was like, go back there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my go God. You're gonna, the please office. no, I don't. I and don't know, this what, kept it going is. back and forth. Oh and goodness. eventually, yeah, you know, the branch said, yeah, don't come back to the office Monday if you don't get the order. Now, I think it was either being hyperbolic about that, but you never know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went and did the proverbial. I sat, leaned against the customer's car in the parking lot at the end of the day, waiting for him to come out. And after this, like the fourth or fifth time we had interacted, he finally just shook his head. We were giving it away, right? So here I developed this great relationship with this buyer and it just got trashed in that one day because suddenly he said, yeah, you guys aren't really here to help me. You're just transactional. And it was for me, that was such a great learning experience. I sort of knew it, but it really drove it home. as like, doesn't take anything at all to spoil a relationship and to have the customer be served, have your true colors revealed. So you have to be
0: very intentional about not doing that. I, I just don't see like where the motivation is from the manager to do that other than like, they're getting pressured. And I'm trying to, trying to like really trying to feel for like, what is the manager? Where are they coming from? Where, where does this, like get created from, you know, because like you say in the book, it's, this is the exact opposite of what buyers are looking for. So right? why do you think that that kind of salesy leadership exists other than the fact of like, I guess, money and all of that? What do you, it's just, I mean, it's mindless. Yeah. Is it's, what just, it is. it's not thoughtful. Yeah. It's not thoughtful. it's, it's like, you know, take
1: this, this, yeah. Every company's not every company. A lot come to experience, you know, so the hockey stick effect toward the end of the month, uh, yeah, we've got a number to meet. So, Hey, we're going to close 70% of our business for the month in the last three days. Yeah. doesn't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you can, you can organize it. So it doesn't happen that way as a company, if it really is persistent, change the comp plan for managers. Yeah,
0: yeah We'll yeah, pay yeah.
1: you more for deals that are closed in the first two weeks of the month. You don't yeah. think that would make a difference? Sure. It'd make a difference.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, we sort of allow this behavior to continue. And if you remove the incentives for managers and people are going to say, well, why don't you say remove the incentive for sellers? It's like, well, because I think it starts with managers and you know, the extreme discounting, especially to bring things at the end of the month. My experience is mostly driven by managers. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they want it. Yeah. I sat in a, a meeting, when I was a meeting as a small, not even a conference, it was, I don't know what they called it, but it was a, a meetup of sales leaders. And I was there sort of a roving expert to go from table to table. It was like 10 tables set up and they're doing table topic discussions. And one was about, yeah, discounting to, to close the, to close the month and a sales manager sitting around frontline sales managers for the most part sitting around. I said, so, well, let me ask you. Yeah. You know, has anyone ever done like an ROI calculation on that discount you gave on a, to bring a deal on on Friday instead of Monday? <laughs> well, it was the end of the month. I said, so what? You're talking about one day difference. Yeah, I know you want to report, but you guys aren't, for the most part, you weren't public companies. Why are you doing it? Well, because we had to make the number one well, night. Yeah, change starts with individuals. And for me, it started with saying, look, I'm not going to do that. As a salesperson, I'm, yeah, I wasn't going to do that. After I had a couple of few little experiences, I said, nope, can't do it. Hold me accountable for performance, but yeah, you know, you're going to need to give me the autonomy to act in a way that's aligned with who I am and how I act. And this is, you make that as ref- referring to Stephen M. R. Covey's new book. Yeah. It's called trust and inspire It's saying, yeah, instead of, because so many sales leaders lead into this or command and control leadership is trust your people, inspire them to act in the best interest of themselves and become the best version of themselves. And, and you'd be surprised what happens. Well, I think we've moved away from that. in sales. Yeah, I agree. When I got started, they told me, my hiring manager, no uncertain terms, your patch, which for me was a vertical market, not a geographical patch, your patch, you're the CEO of this. I mean, we've got certain guidelines, right? You know, we've got ethical standards and so on yeah. framework laid for how we sell. But within that, you're the CEO of this business that's a powerful lesson. And, and I don't hear that nearly as much anymore. You know, salespeople, I think, feel much more constrained in general than they used to.
0: Well, what do you think, um, you know, tell me about like what you're teaching uh, sales managers now with the book and maybe like, just kind of some of the pillars, you go into pillars in this book, um, sure. what I think are like key tactical things that leaders can be doing and, and, and sellers can be doing and maybe even getting to, but we can also kind of wrap up with a question, sure. but that, those are some of the powerful things I think people can take away from, from what right. you're talking about. Well, in the book, I contrast selling out,
1: which we sort of talked about, the yep. salesy behaviors versus selling in, which is the way that aligns with who you are as a human, but also aligns with how buyers want to buy, right? Because our job is is to create memorable buying experiences for the buyer, especially in these days where the perceived and differences and the actual differences between so many products is so razor thin. What's the point of differentiation? You know, if a, I'll take a conversational intelligence, you know, as one product category, let's say, is when I mean, buyers go out and look for that. I mean, I don't know whether 30 vendors now selling
0: conversational <laughs> yeah. intelligence tools. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating.
1: I think it's close yeah. to that. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the difference? Now, well, when the company is bigger, might be more well known or whatever, but you know, at a functional level, they're all pretty much the same. So how does the buyer make their decision? You know, the research shows from Gartner and other people is that it's based on the experience they have with the sellers, right? Assuming that all products, features, and pricing are relatively the same, it's, it's that experience, how they experience you. That's the basis of What I wrote about in terms of this, the four pillars of selling in, connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity, which is first we have to be able to establish this connection with the buyer as a human that where we can build a level of trust with them that enables us to dig deeper and ask the type of questions where you get answers that they just wouldn't normally reveal to other people or you know, to other companies, but <clears throat> not, uh, you know, trade secrets, but you know, information that's kind of proprietary, but that's, if you know, it, it's going to help you help them, right? Buyers don't automatically answer questions at that level, right? As you have to earn that right to, as I call in the book, to stick your nose into their business. And so it starts with that connection. Some people think, ah, oh, we don't need to connect with buyers. You know, there's, there's you know, actual naysayers about this. And it's like, yeah, no, that's just completely wrong. We have to. And so we then, when we get earn that level of trust, we can deploy our curiosity to dig deep and get to the point where we really do understand what's most important to the buyer, right? In terms of the challenges they face that they want to solve and in terms of the outcomes they want to achieve. And with that understanding, now suddenly. We agree with the buyer. We are in alignment with the buyer about what the target is. You know, if we're just out there trying to persuade them to buy our product, we never get that level of understanding. We're out of alignment completely with the buyer. But if we reach that level of understanding about what are the most important things to them? And trust me, on every deal you work, there's always one thing that's more important than all the
0: others. So Andy, we talked a lot about, you know, kind of sales leaders and the bad things that they do. Can you tell me a little (laughs) bit about like just, you know, the pillars of your book talk so much strategically about the tactics that sales leaders should be doing and and how we should be viewing sellers and, you know, really how sellers should be interacting with buyers. Right. So I'm, I'm curious if you could walk us through or take us through those pillars that I think could apply just as much for sales leaders to their sellers oh. as much as to sellers, to their buyers. Sure. Well, think about it. So, you know,
1: earlier framed that, you know, the act of selling, what is the act of selling? Let's to Go out and listen to your buyers. Yeah. Understand what are the most important things to your buyers. And then help them get that.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So now think about your job as a sales leader. Your job should be to listen to your sellers, understand what are the most important things to them in terms of you know what help they might need or what are they trying to achieve in their life. You know, what's what's important to them. And then your job as a, as a leadership is how can I help that person to get these things that are most important to them? Because yeah. if I do that, I'm going to unleash this person's creativity, their productivity, their, their fulfillment, you know, they're going to stay around longer. You know, it's, it's the same motion yeah. as you are when you're working with your, your buyers is, it should be as you're a leader. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems we have is in general, we, hugely underinvest in our frontline managers, in terms of enabling them to understand that this is really their job. And their job is not just to be a metrics jockey and you know, to keep people under the thumb in terms of hitting their activity metrics or whatever they're following from a KPI standpoint, but it's to help them become the best version of themselves. Because if I can do that, then they're gonna perform at a higher level for me. And the way to do that is not to be more controlling, to be less controlling. It's to, you know, work with the people, trust the people that work for you to be able to deliver the way they need to deliver, inspire them, model the behaviors that you want them to follow. And, you know, these four pillars I lay out, those are the behaviors when you deal with other people. We talked about it initially. It's not just about selling. It's about how we deal with people in life. You know, we want to connect with them. We want to be curious about them. We want to understand what's important to them. And then we want to help them, we're going to give generously of ourselves to help them achieve those
0: things. Yeah. Managers should want to do the same thing. Yeah. I said in the very beginning of the podcast like you you you're kind of like I don't know if they're in, in sequential order I'm sure they're they're like not meant to be a process. This could happen at any point in the right. quote unquote process of selling to someone. But I think all of them like equally so important where you get people Bringing their guards down, they're like, this person can't, you know, hurt me. This person is worth my time because they're like exactly. genuinely in the present, in the conversation. They're, they're not. that um, We're taking our product, we're taking our thing, or our idea, whatever we're trying to influence, off of the table, and it's just the two of us, you know, kind of in. There's nothing else here. We're we're trying to connect. We're trying to listen, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's just so powerful, like, you know, because. Your, your approach, uh, and, and you know, I've heard this a lot, but it's just, it's not, you know, kind of like the gold standard, whereas, you know, you're, instead of stating facts to people, really, uh, you know, posing things in forms of, of, of really mm-hmm. awesome questions so that they kind of come to realizations themselves, like in realizations that maybe they couldn't even offer you if you had posed it as a uh, statement, right. or if you had posed yeah, it as a, oh, you, you're you looking for that? Yeah, we can do that. We can act absolutely help you do that. Right. And you're only getting to a fraction of maybe where that could go. So, you know, some of the questions, maybe go into kind of some of the things that, you know, maybe sure. people could better, you know, do when they're maybe asking questions to get people to kind of flip the switch where it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, where someone's like, oh, this person, Andy, is is in this just for me. And I feel like mm-hmm. differently uh, about Andy because of what he's asking me.
1: Well, you sort of started down the road with one example, which is... I call it the ask, don't tell rule, which is that when you have an opportunity to state something as a fact, is pose it as a question instead. I mean, if you state something as a fact, it's like well, our product does ABC. Well, what do you learn from that? You learn nothing. <laughs> but if you pose it as a question, you say, Well, so what would the value be to you if if you could do A B C? Well, first of all, the customer knows by the fact that you're asking the question that you do ABC. So you don't have to state it as a fact. And now they're thinking about it, right? Or you could say, well, what would the impact be if you could do ABC? Yeah. And that sort of draws two things. And then one is it's, you know, you're asking it as a question. So you're forcing them to think about it, which is what you want. And maybe it's, maybe you just provided them an insight that they didn't have before that. Like, wow, we can do that. Um, but then when you phrase it as what I call it like an impact question, which is, so you're asking people to quantify the impact of making a change, right? So if you could do ABC, a change. Well, what is that impact? Is it dollars? Is it hours? Is it, you know, is there some other metric you use that you quantify value for that? When you have had the people start thinking about in those real terms, then you're really, you know, you're making progress because they're thinking about how it actually be in their business. It starts being less hypothetical and a little more real, and that's the level of conversation we get to, because then they start understand again that level of understanding that you want them to get to. So, um, yeah, I like impact questions, and I talk about in the book. You can layer those questions. You know, what the impact be for the organization? What the impact be for maybe your team? What's the impact of making this change on you personally? And when you start going through these different perspectives, then again, you're helping the buyer understand, and you're coming to a deeper understanding of what's important to them.
0: Yeah. And it's so true. I am in the process. Actually, today is a fun day. My oh, wife yeah, is yeah. buying a car. It's a fun in, in terms of like just, uh, you know, some crazy things happening in my day. And, and even on this podcast, you yes, know, in yes. technology, we're kind of having to do this in two separate energies. But um, also today, my wife purchased a car. We purchased a, a vehicle a new yeah. car. And it was interesting listening to salespeople on the other end, because, you know, I I play the good cop and my wife right. is like the bad cop. She knows yeah. exactly what she's looking for. And, um, you know, her scenario was like, she uh wants like a, a new car, that is the same exact model uh, of BMW that we have, mm-hmm. like just in a newer model. So we have right. a 2011, she wants a 2020. And there's all these like different things you could have and she wants some specific things like a color of seats and mm-hmm. stitching and all these like things in a package and a heads up display and all these, mm-hmm. there's a four or five things, right. That are like ma- basically nice to have, you know, right. but there are a few like must haves, but people like when she's like, Oh, like I want to look at this car and it's like a top of the line kind of version of like, there's a different levels of where we could get the same version, right. Only pay a little bit more, let's right. say. Right. And, um, you know, one that she found was a little bit on the higher end. But as soon as she talked to this guy, she's like, the guy was like, oh, you're looking at that car. That's like the cream of the crop. That's like the best car that we have on the lot. That's like, are you familiar with what a M3 can do or what this engine is? And this is like, you want this. And he was only like talking about it. And then when, when she asked, like, do you have this, 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 and this, they were like minor things, but the guy goes, no, we don't like, you know, it doesn't have that. So tell me more about like the car that you're driving now. So does it have that? And she's like, no, it doesn't. Well, okay. What do you need in the the new car? She's like those things. And he did. De- he never once said like, well, tell me how important those things are right. to you. Or what do those mean to you? If you had, right. or is that a deal breaker? If it doesn't, or. How big of a priority in the scheme of things are you looking for? And why? Or why are you even, why are you even asking me for a heads up display or this little thing? And she would have said, not really. No, she was just trying to get a discount. You know, she was mm-hmm. trying to use those in her back pocket to get the guy to say, well, it doesn't have that. If we could do it for this, since it doesn't have that, then would you be good with it? But had he just said that, she would have been like, well, not really, you know, it, it's not a big deal, but it would be nice or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So you know, I, I, I'm always thinking about like how important, how do you view that? What's their priority? And like, you know, what does it mean for you personally, Mm -hmm. the organization, the impact is so key. We kind of like, and people actually tell you more about the product actually or what they want in the product than for you saying, oh, this is great. This is the cream of the crop. This is amazing. (laughs) This is how great we are. Cause it's, you know, it's, cream of the crop to who? And maybe to me, it's, it's not, you know, just in terms of your, your, your product line, it it might be in the cost, but again, I determine the value of what the cream
1: of the crop is. That's right. Value is always in the eye of the, the buyer. Right. And yeah, I talk about this in the book is, yeah, the macro level value for a buyer is just progress.
0: Hmm, Right. if they're going to invest time
1: and attention in you is, is then they need to have received something for that time and attention that moves them closer to making a decision.
0: Yeah.
1: And if they don't get that, then there was no value in that interaction. And so, yeah, you always have to, you know, seller, you can't, you can't decide
0: what has value to the buyer. Yeah. Just to kind of close the loop on the story. So she spoke with one person who was like, you know, it's very, very cold. Like it's going to be this cost and like, this is the deal Mm -hmm. and that's it. And, oh, can you do shipping? Can you ship it from New Jersey to Florida? Oh, well, let me work on that. We're working on that. But no, like, no, no insights. No, like, why are you asking? Or maybe here's some other options. Like, what are, what are, what are you thinking? Like, what are are your options if we can't ship it? She talks to another guy and the guy's got, yeah, you know, I, I gotta be direct with you. We don't do that. You gotta pay for that on your own. And I don't know why that person would have told you that. Maybe she was trying to really like work hard for you, but like it's not something we do. But you know, tell me more about like what you're looking at. Like maybe here's three, three different scenarios. You oh, you say your 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 father lives in the area. Could you leave it with them? Then mm-hmm. could you take it a different time? maybe you could buy it here. And so there was like four or five different options because he sat with her, spent like an hour and a half. She she said, I learned more from this guy in an hour than I did like three or four different interactions from the other person. He was like, literally just trying to ask her questions. And she gave him answers like, oh yeah. So like my father's lives locally. So maybe I could leave it with him. And I've looked at like maybe transporting it. Um, Maybe that's an option, Um, you know, uh, maybe I don't need to like, tra- uh, like trade my car in today. Maybe I could like do that down the road and then use that later and transfer the, 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 uh, yep. the loan later. Uh, it doesn't have to be all. So there was all these different options is my point, because he just literally sat there and really dug a little bit deeper than this other person who was just like giving her exactly what she asked for, which you say, don't take people at face value. It's right. like, you know, that guy didn't, not to be combative, just to be, you know, helpful.
1: Yeah. Well, I have to say, I, I, one of the best sales experiences I've had in the last, or buying experiences, excuse me, I've had in the last several years was buying a car, you know, for all the, the bad image that has you know, stereotypes about salespeople yeah. and car salesmen. It's just like any other profession, you know, there's a range of people that are good at it. Yeah. And some people that yeah. are, that aren't, unfortunately, remember the people who aren't, but yeah, I mean, last time, I got a car. We wanted the exact same thing basically we had had before, but there were a few mm-hmm. little upgrades. Yeah. Guy asked, you know, he presented them. He said, Hey, are the differences between your model and what's, what's new? Uh, any of these important, are, are any of these important to you? And I said, uh, no, yes, no. Yes. And then he said, great. Yeah. Let's do it. I said, so I have one stipulation. I said, I need to be in and out of the dealership in 30 minutes. Cause I, I hate having to go into the buyer, you know, the finance guy and go through all those yeah, options. That's and a good, so I yeah. said, look, look at what we did last time. Don't want any of those.
0: 30 minutes. And he then, said, great, come in. We'll get you out. And, it was, and he we did. And it he was did. Fantastic. And, and he yeah. followed through with that. He didn't yep. just yep. overpromise and under. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know we're kind of coming to the end, Andy. Yeah. What would you kind of leave? Uh, I, I always like to. Uh, ask a question this is a question I ask everybody because it's about you it's I feel like it's a unique it's a fun question about Mm -hmm. you so if I ask like your family your kids like something about Andy that's so unique to Andy that I, I I word it like this like something that is just could only would only happen to you that your your maybe your family your wife kids that would say like you know what that thing is just so totally Andy What would that one thing be? Because I feel like we connect on these things that are so individual with each other. And that's kind of where the greatest connections uh, start. I told you my pigeon story. Yeah. We
1: we bonded over that one.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we both have, uh, just because I don't know if this was recorded, we both have stories where we were, pooped on before of a sales meeting. So like just, you know, yeah, have that by, in your visual. By,
1: by birds, yes, yeah. And closed uh, sales,
0: uh, This the, the sales afterwards, by the way. Yeah, right? and closed yeah. sales afterwards, yeah.
1: Oh, uniquely me. I, yeah, it's a great question, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's- <laughs> I've
0: just, stumped Larry Levine nothing. with this and others,
1: They yeah. they they go silent with this question, I don't know. Well, because <laughs> I, you know, part of the message of the book is that I'm not unique. Yeah, you know, this oh, is this is something Ooh, okay. it's something anybody can do. I'm, yeah, you know, okay. there's people that are smart, a lot smarter than me, and and more capable in so many dimensions. Yet, yeah, I had have had and a very successful career, uh, sold hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of product. But I look at it and say anybody could have done this if they were willing to sort of approach it from the same way. And so maybe the perspective maybe is is a little. Unique and just, maybe not just because I'm socializing and out there with the book, but I think, yeah, I think anybody can sort of do this. I'm, I'm not a huge believer in this idea that, you know, they're born salespeople. I, I don't think there are. Yeah, there are some people that are a little more, you know, extroverted and so on, but it doesn't correlate to success. I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, we, you've used the word before, ambiverts, we think ambiverts probably correlate more highly to success than, than anything, but, but yeah, we all have it in us. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. And you know, whether it's the, you call that the growth mindset or I just think Airbay has the capabilities to achieve at a level that they want to put their minds to. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do with the book is, is give sellers permission to say, yeah, there is a better way for me. And Hey, sales leader, sales manager, let me go do this. Give me the autonomy to go do this because I'll perform better for you if you trust me to go deliver than if you may force me to comply to this, you know, your sort of detailed process.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it feels icky to the buyer, it probably feels like to the salesperson. The person wants to stay. The person wants to like actually perform, not even just for themselves. They want to really perform for that sales manager mm-hmm. that gives them that autonomy, that gives them oh, that absolutely. trust. And the company then, they're they're actually like the company is they're, they're part of like this this greater uh, community well, this, where this greater mission right. right that the company is actually trying to instill well we've got this this crisis I think it's an absolute crisis
1: in terms of certainly within the tech space uh, according to latest report from bravado that they did that you know aE ten years down like to even under a year I think now mm. 12 or 11 months something like yeah. that wow that's. That's insane. That's in no one's best interest. It's not in the best interest of the seller. It's not in the best interest of the company. You know, you learn by going through and experiencing things and, you know, some sort of, you don't need to stay at a company forever, but stay long enough to learn what you're actually doing and to have some success at it. And this is not on the sellers exclusively. This is also on the leadership, right? You're not creating an environment where people feel that they're getting enough out of it in order to stay. You know, Gallup did their poll you know, several years ago, which everybody sort of quotes famously, but you know, people leave managers, not jobs. I think that's true to a large extent. Yeah. And so we have to create the conditions so we need to change what's going on right now. And unfortunately, I think what's happened, and this is you know, back to something you said at the very beginning is <clears throat> we have all this wonderful technology in sales and marketing but what we've done is we've used it to automate previously bad sales behaviors yeah. rather than saying, look, let's use this as an opportunity to reset how we engage with our buyers. And I think that's one missed opportunity. I think also the pandemic was a missed opportunity because we so completely disrupted how we do business. We had the opportunity to say, look, well, let's do a reset in terms of how we really engage with our buyers right? Because their circumstances have changed. Our circumstances have changed. What are we going to do differently? And we didn't do that. So we're Mm. coming out of it basically at the same position we went into it. Yes, we're doing more stuff virtual that will change over time, but the behaviors haven't changed dramatically. And so part of the reason I'm, you know, for the rationale behind this
0: book too, was, was seeing that and saying, yeah, we've missed, we've missed a real opportunity. Yeah. Well, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people take you up on the opportunity to read the book and, um, you know, really anyone it's again, you don't have to necessarily have a sales job to pick up this book and, and find some value in it. I think it's, it's definitely a, a book for just, you know, human being interaction and um, finding uh, ways to uh, really people enjoy spending time with you and opening up to you and, and really feeling like that they've, you know, had, had a valuable uh, interaction with you. So for all that, where can people kind of like connect with you in a very authentic, uh, you know, human uh, focused way and um, and learn more about you in the book? Well, thank you, Alex. Yeah, LinkedIn
1: is one place. Come to LinkedIn, connect with me, follow me, message me. I mean, I love hearing from people. Uh, Come to my website, andypaul.com. And you can download a free chapter of the book. You can also have a little fun assessment there. So take, it's, it's not super scientific, but just give you a sense of where you sit between on the spectrum between selling out and selling in, uh, maybe give you a little data point
0: and yeah, buy the book <laughs> at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Yeah. I, I solely endorse it. You know, it's been awesome. A conversation, Andy, uh, might even have you back at some point. I really I'd love to enjoy, Thank you, enjoy what you're all about and, uh, Thank you. you We'll tell stories. We've got more stories. Not just the bird stories. We have other (laughs) stories we can get into. (laughs) Let's do it. I hope we can do it again. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, Thank you. All right. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly and tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.